Welcome back to God Books, the podcast where we journey through the world of books and bookshops. On this episode... When there are boxes of books that come in, I prefer if I'm the one to unpack them. <laughs> it's just something I like doing. There's, it's, it's like Christmas. Thank you. Oh, I love it. It's, it's always that exciting as well. Like, yeah, honestly, exactly. like you open up. It, it's devastating when it's something that you've like, oh, this is old hat, we've had this in four. But then it's like a whole <laughs> shiny bunch of new books. Oh, I love it. Today we step into Golden Hair, a design-led bookshop taking its cues from design museums. The difference here is that you can touch the art, pick it up, discover what's inside. Golden Hair Books in Edinburgh is one of the city's most charming and thoughtfully curated independent bookshops. It boasts a wall of beautifully displayed face-out books, an inviting fireplace with real fire for those chilly Scottish winters, and one of the prettiest, bluest shopfronts ever. The self-confessed reading addicts that form the team of booksellers have been advising readers since 2012, when Golden Hair opened its doors. The independent bookshop is in Edinburgh's Stockbridge, and they cover all genres from cookery to travel, kids' picture books to science fiction. They host all sorts of events, keeping the buzz going in one of Europe's most vibrant cultural spots. We chat today to Julia and David, two of the booksellers looking forward to welcoming you at Golden Hair. Hi, David. Hi, Julia. Welcome to God Books. Where are you joining us from today? Hi, we are based in Edinburgh in Scotland. And are you in the bookstore at the moment? No. We're not. No, we're um, we're in Julia's decadent, uh, lovely fitted out apartment. So <laughs> slight change of scenery, but still you know, sympathetic. I still have books here. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the same sort of ambience. It's um, just we don't we don't get paid to be here. So <laughs> are they for sale as well? Is that no, the, no, okay. no. <laughs> Well, if I see anything interesting in the background, any any good books, I, I might ask. Uh, since you're not in the bookstore, there you go. I do see books now. Can't see the titles, but very colorful. Um, you're not in the bookstore, but could you take us on a virtual tour of Golden Hair? What's it like? Um, yeah, make it as, as poetic as you'd like. I'll take that one. Um, I have a way with words. <laughs> um, so Golden Hair is actually really beautifully located in a part of Edinburgh that's called Stockbridge. So it's just a bit north of the main shopping street that many people will know when they, if they know Edinburgh. So the road kind of curves down and you see a lovely little kind of village type setting. And then you take a right and then you're on our street, which is called St. Stephen Street. Lovely street. Um, <laughs> and yeah, about halfway down the street, you come across Golden Hair, which stands out because it has a very deep blue facade. Mm which is lovely. And then we have the golden lettering on top and a little kind of, is it, is it a statue of a golden hair? Or is it? What, yeah, it's, like it? A, it's like a cast, a bronze cast of a hair, which yeah. is like this beautiful gold. Yeah. It's very attractive. Yes. So it's, it's a fairly old part of, of the city. So you have to actually, it's not level to the street. You walk up four steps. We have these doors that open inwards. So usually they're open. So, you know, you get welcomed into the shop, which is nice. <laughs> Sorry if I'm going into too much detail. Um, oh, the, the yeah. more the better. So we can really yeah. imagine it. You know, we cannot travel yeah. these days. So this helps. Exactly. So you walk up the worn stone steps and yeah, in, inside the shop, it's it's not a shop that's wide, if that makes sense. It's a shop that's long. So it goes towards the back. It's fairly bright given that it's an old building. You know, we only have windows at the front, but because it's so light inside, the walls are white mm. at the front part. Um, we have a massive long wall of books 
on the right-hand side when you walk in. Now, you might not think that that's special for a bookshop because every bookshop has a book of walls, uh, wall of books, but we have face-outs, which means that you see the front of the book instead of the spine. So they lie flat against the wall. It's part design feature, yeah. but also part um, because that's where people pass. So you couldn't have a deep shelf. So it's more of a flat shelf where you can um, sort all the books. Yeah. And you can okay. see, yeah, and you can see every single cover as well. Because yeah. you get so many beautiful books in, a, in, a, in a, any independent bookshop has loads and loads of beautiful books. But we get them and we're just like, oh, we want to show them off as well. So when people come in their first experience of the bookshop outside of the, the facade is that beautiful wall of these incredible covers and these very distinct books where you've actually given them their space too. So it's very cool because mm-hmm. usually if you put them on a shelf, generally you kind of just see the spine. Yeah. yeah. It can be nice, but like usually it's a bit limited, but there are so many covers that you're just like, you know, you want to see the whole thing. Um, and we're lucky that we have that big space so you can kind of see everything and you can see all the efforts that the publishers, whether it's a small publisher or a big publisher have put into these very, very beautiful objects. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, nice. it's a really nice experience. Sorry, Julia, I'll pass back over to you as well. <laughs> no, that's, that was a great <laughs> addition to what I was saying. Thank you. Um, the shop is kind of divided into three parts, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So you have the front part, which has um, our nonfiction section. So we have the wall of books, and then we have nonfiction on the other side, and also the till space. And then there's a kind of very natural source of barrier between that and the fiction section in that you have to walk across a sort of wonky space on the floor because <laughs> it's like half a step up and then suddenly you're in the fiction section mm-hmm. and there's also a pillar that divides the two so there's like two archways and you go into the fiction section now the fiction section also has a lovely design feature which is our large table it's mm-hmm. a square table although it's not quite square yeah no. it's like off square <laughs> off square it's a square table a big one and we have books piled there kind of around around four sides and that's where we display like really cool um, the new fiction. Then we have a side for Scottish fiction. We have a side for classics. And then on the other side is like our favorites. Mm. So that could yeah. be something that picks that we've had from our own tastes over a long period of time. Or it can be like what's come out now that we've just read that we're like, that's incredible. And everyone has to read it just because it's good as a bookseller to be able to like pick up a book and go, I read this yesterday you've got to read it now you know it's like very handy to have that so and then away from the table we've got the the fireplace as well Mm, which is gorgeous yes so we have a fireplace which seems counterintuitive (laughs) and tell i can tell you that lighting it is very counterintuitive as well but uh, we're now getting into the cold season here in edinburgh and it's actually a really nice thing to have a fire um in the shop so every morning in the winter months we light the fire and then, you know, it takes a while to get going, but it actually heats up that part of the shop really, really nicely. And it just gives it a nice, cozy atmosphere. Um, yeah. And then I guess so around that space is our fiction, poetry, graphic novels, short stories, general fiction, mm. young adult. Yep. Then the last kind of third of the shop is the children's section which is its own kind of contained section because there's a little hallway kind of, it's not quite a hallway, it's it's a few steps that you have to go through to get to the kids section. And I think it's a really lovely space for kids because um, our previous manager and her friend, they actually painted it. They made it really beautiful over lockdown. Mm. So it's very age appropriate. Um, And again, we try to um, display as many of the books as we can. Uh, So a lot of the picture books are on stands all across kind of the room. Mm. Because, you know, of course, especially kids, they're very visual and 
I think a lot of kids go by illustrations that they mm. like and even parents as well. Yeah. So to see what you get with a picture book is quite important and it just creates a lovely mm. atmosphere. So we're in a we're in a kind of golden age of children's picture books particularly and they're just incredible and there are so many of them that you really you know, if they were sort of tucked away and put away on a shelf, it, it would be kind of unexciting. So you just want to get them out and then people are more likely to pick them up and they get excited by them as well. It feels like a waste to kind of have these beautiful things and to not have them out there for people to see and to be, you know, and then to pick them up and yeah, get excited about them. So for us, it's always about like, how can we like maximize the shop space to give people as much of a kind of like visual enjoyment and like an aesthetic enjoyment as possible. So rather than just being like, I guess kind of like a classic library style mm-hmm. bookshop, uh, you know, like the, the Beauty and the Beasts library yes, yeah. <laughs> in, in that way, which is fabulous. You know, like it's really cool and it's a very distinct style, but it is nice to have stuff now, especially as covers are getting so beautiful for kids books, for adults books. Why not have them shown to people as much as possible? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. We're actually going to have book cover designers on our next episode, two different book cover designers, exactly because of, of that reason, because I think uh, book covers are getting so much better, so much more interesting than, than they used to be. And especially for children's books, I was uh, yeah visiting a friend last week who has a five-year-old and all of her books, I would buy every single one of her books. They're so beautiful <laughs> nowadays. Um yeah, I really love so many things about uh, about the shop that you described, especially the fireplace. That sounds very cozy. And displaying the, the book covers, I think that's a really good idea. And I'm sure some of these things are what makes Golden Hair the beautiful bookshop that it is, and it won uh, quite a few awards, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, tell us a little bit about the story of the shop. All I know really is that it opened in 2012. Can you tell me a little bit more than that? Yeah, so uh, originally when it was opened, but even before it was open, in fact, it was going to be a children's bookshop called Golden Crocodile. And it that never quite worked out. The, the owner, Mark Jones, was he never fully got behind that idea ultimately. And so they were like, okay, we're going to try and make this an adult's bookshop. And we, what are we going to call it? Golden something. And it eventually was fixed upon as Golden Hair. Unfortunately, there's no kind of really cool, interesting story. But people always come in and go, oh, is it to do with the Golden Hair book? You know, where it was the treasure hunt thing? No, unfortunately, it's not to do with that. They go, oh, was it to do with it? No, unfortunately, it's to do with that. It's just he, he liked the sound of Golden Hair. Um, so we started off when the store first opened as the Golden Hair. It was down in the Grass Market, which is in um, like the old part of Edinburgh. Very, very beautiful area. The shop itself was kind of quite small. It wasn't the right setting for it. It was like an, it was an, it could have been a nice space, but for that, for the bookshop as it was then, it didn't quite work. So we ended up moving over to Stockbridge, which is kind of the other side of Edinburgh. And that's been our home ever since. Um, and it's just been for the last five, or six years. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful space. It's a very, like Julia was describing, it's a very unusual space. And when being described it or seeing it, you're like, this is a strange little building, but it really fits the the, the nature of the business. And so we've kind of grown it and, got, and, and grown from, Gone from strength to strength, really, with it, even though the beginnings of it were quite different. So yeah, it's been a it's been a joy to be there. It's been a joy to kind of see it like transform. But um, I, I always kind of wondered what it would have been like if we had just ended up being the golden crocodile. Like I would have liked to have seen that kids' bookshop. So yeah, uh, probably very different, I'd imagine, <laughs> than how it is now. And uh, yeah, I think for many businesses, probably having kind of a, a quirky space with uh, a few different rooms might not be a good fit, but for a bookstore, it probably just adds to the charm, right? And it makes you more creative with the space and you start to think, okay, what looks more fiction? What looks more nonfiction? <laughs> Maybe where do I put yeah, exactly. one? 
Yeah, I think um, I think what makes golden hair as a shop a little bit unusual is that the design elements are very kind of clean cut and mm. light and bright. Yeah. But then, you know, you have the old features like the sort of wonky floor, like the fireplace, like, you know, the very, it's all of it together just makes it feel, yeah, it gives it such a unique atmosphere that mm. I've never really seen in any other shop, really. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe I'm biased. <laughs> Edinburgh's, Edinburgh's full of very unusual old buildings, as you can imagine, which are like full of character. But I think ours is kind of unusual for that. It's that combination of like the new style with the the old architecture that does it does create something kind of like distinct um, and hopefully tasteful. I think generally tasteful, but yes. I should say that as someone who's not an interior designer as well. So yeah, you I, have no I, taste. I, I have got no taste. <laughs> so I'm told it's tasteful. So I hope that's true. Well, based on what I can see from Julia's apartment, she has good taste. So she says that. <laughs> Well, I, we always rely basically if there's any kind of decision that needs to be made about taste i'll just be like julia what do we do so that tends to work out quite well so apart from interior design what what are your roles in the shop when when did you guys join and what do you do there on a daily basis i'll hand over to my senior staff a senior staff well <laughs> the, the power the sheer power um so i'm the events manager at golden hair i started at the bottom when i came in um in i want to say 2018 i want to say and was just kind of, you know, a shop assistant, basically booked, uh, uh, ordinary bookseller. And it's kind of, I've gone from like position to position in there. And I've ended up now as the events manager, which is a, a very fun job. As you can imagine, it's handling all our events, which have mostly recently been um, online. It's in this format, um, Zoom. I've, I've had to have a crash course going from knowing very little about Zoom to knowing like loads all of a sudden. So that's been, it's been good to be educated, but I am, we're looking forward to like getting back to our like physical in-person events. Uh, we've actually got one coming up on um, the 8th of October, which is very exciting. So that's our first one since COVID, since the first lockdown. So yeah, it's really, it feels like we're all a bit out of practice with it, but I'm very, very excited for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's basically, basically my role. I think in the business, we all wear many different hats. Yeah. So. I was just going to say, cause you're not just the events manager. Like yeah. when, when David is physically in the shop, he still sells books, you know, <laughs> he's not just talked to, he's not just talking. All the books. Aggressively selling books. <laughs> like, so, and Julia, what, what do you do? Oh, um, hmm. yeah. So I joined the team in July, 2019. So that's just been over two years now, and I'm I'm a senior bookseller, and I'm also kind of dabbling in the social media side of things. So mm. I run our Instagram account, which has been um, a great thing to do for me. I, I really enjoy it. There's something about getting to show off the space that we just talked about online that's just really fun. Yeah, and so I enjoy that aspect, but mostly, yeah, I sell books and mm. do all the things that we have to do in the shop. Yeah, because like David said, you know, we kind of there's not many things that we do individually that we don't do as a team. Mm. You know, everyone has yeah. their own thing, but when a bo box of books comes in, whoever's there is going to unpack it yeah. and book it in. It's, yeah. it, it's quite good. It works out quite well. Like, I think everyone really who works there, because it's a small team as well, you're all expected to like kind of know each other's jobs as much as possible. Obviously there are some things where there is like some specialization or there's someone who has a bit more skill in a certain area or whatever. Like Julia is really, really good at taking photos and phrasing things for um, social media in a way that say I wouldn't be so good at so it's great to have that kind of skill where you go okay cool we can trust Julia to like 
uh, vet this or if I put together a post I can be like Judah does this work and she'll go yes or no <laughs> hopefully more yes than no but like it depends on the thing <laughs> no, but, and you in turn just to compliment you as well thank you <laughs> that's what I was going I was, I was like fishing for that so. no David's really good at for example the website stuff that I don't mm. really get so because you know we all work on everything a bit so David was really good at showing me how to do a lot of things around the shop when I first started my first day David showed me around and told me all the things oh. about the shop. So that was cool. Yeah. They were all the wrong thing. <laughs> but still. Yeah. Well, I haven't replied yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess that's that's what we do at Golden Hair. It's it's really lovely. But yeah. just to get back to the day-to-day tasks, I will say that when there are boxes of books that come in, I prefer if I'm the one to unpack them. <laughs> it's just something I love doing. There's it's it's the favorite part of my job is getting a huge box of books mm. and then looking in and seeing, oh, is this going to be new stuff? Is this going to yeah. be stuff we've already had? Oh, yeah, we got that back. It's like Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I love it. It's, it's always that exciting as well. Like, yeah, honestly, exactly. like you open up. It, it's devastating when it's something that you've like, oh, this is old hat. We've had this in before. But then it's like a whole <laughs> shiny bunch of new books. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. And sometimes depending on who the supplier is, like, you know, there's certain publishers like, you know, Jay Wiley and Hachette. Mm-hmm. Those are more likely to have like really interesting, cool books in them, like mm. art books that we've not had before or something. And then yeah. it's like, ha, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That does sound like the the best part of uh, of of a job. The only yeah. thing I can relate it to is that I open all the packages that arrive in my house, whether they're for me or not. I just open everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually not as exciting as a big pile of books, but I open them anyway. My, um, mine are all bills and things, so it's never quite so so exciting. You get your bills and packages. What do you buy? Just a lot of bills okay. collected in one. They sent me like ten ago. Just the package of bills. So I was going to ask you, my next question was going to be, what is the best part of being a bookseller? You kind of mentioned it. It's opening the big boxes. Is there anything else that, uh, that you love? Um, yeah, I guess there's, I, there's many things, but what do you love? I, uh, we found this during um, the lockdowns actually as well. I really missed during that period actually talking to people on like the hand selling portion someone comes in and they say i don't really know what i'm looking for but i kind of like sci-fi or i like fancy or i like scottish crime or whatever and then you end up having these great discussions with people about what they like what potentially you like if it's relevant and you never know where those those are going to go and they're great chats and they always lead to kind of like interesting talk about different types of literature and for me those are always the thing that i'm like that's the my favorite bit of the job talking with people, getting to know people, finding out weird little nuggets of information about certain types of literature or certain books that I didn't know before, um, sharing little bits that I have as well with, with our customers. That's just always exciting. Like it's it's one of those things that's just, you know, obviously if you're super busy or something, you can sometimes be like a little hard pressed to do it, but as much as possible, that's the kind of stuff that you really want to do. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, luckily in in our shop, we get a, we get a good chance to do that with people as well. Um, and we get a lot of people come in with very like niche, unusual tastes as well. So you learn loads every day from people about things. Um, so for me, that's usually the most rewarding thing. Yeah, that's true. Mm. What I also really enjoyed back in pre-COVID times was um, we did Sunday stories for children. Oh, yeah. Where we usually, me, <laughs> I would read a picture book to kids. So they kind of just gather in the children's section because we have like little chairs and stuff and cushions for them to sit on and then I just read a picture book to them and that was like a really lovely way to start off my Sunday because I'm I'm part of the Sunday staff so I'm in the shop pretty much yeah I think there's been like five Sundays I've missed in the past year (laughs) (laughs) 
So, um, yeah, that's just always, that was a really, really lovely thing to do. But right now it's, you know, it's not really the time mm. to maybe bring that back just yet because we don't want it to be too crowded together. Um, but yeah, that, that was a really, really lovely little thing as well. Mm. You're good with children. Yeah. We interviewed um, in the first season a um, children's bookstore from, from Bucharest and they did something similar. They think they call it story time. And during the lockdown, they moved them online and the, the bookseller from, from that bookshop was telling us how sad it was. Like she was just talking to a screen now. She knew there were children watching, but it's just not the same thing. <laughs> and it's hard to recreate that experience. I'd imagine of having kids around you looking forward to the next page and seeing what's going to happen in the story. Um, yeah, that's that's really fun. Um, I kind of really want to be a bookseller now. I already had this plan <laughs> before, but uh, I have to postpone it due to pregnancy reasons. But <laughs> I'll come back that's to it. Reason. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back to that dream. Um, so I'm I'm curious to know. I mean, the bookstore has been around for a while now, so I'm sure there are some uh, customers that. Uh, come there regularly that are kind of your your loyal customers do you have some favorites anyone that um or yeah any any not favorite i don't want to say favorite but <laughs> any customers you that want to call out customers <laughs> <laughs> exactly they have a score uh no but loyal customers that you see in the shop quite often that uh, you maybe want to say hi to i mean there's one that i can think of that we I, i've never seen but zandra you know in oh, germany yeah yeah. yeah 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 she's cool yeah she's cool i like her a lot so I've never actually interacted with her, I don't think. I, I, okay, so Sandra is someone who orders a lot from us online. Um, and because I'm German and she's in Germany, I'd write the note cards, you know, because when someone places an order online, like we write note cards to say thank you for your order. So I just write it in German and send it off in the post. And um, yeah, so I see, I've seen her name quite often and I've written cards to her. And it's just really lovely to have someone in my home country support a shop that I work in. Mm. So yeah, it's um, that's a, that's a name that came to mind. Yeah, she's lovely. She actually attends a lot of our events as well. So I I have seen that's her, and so I'm nice. kind of like, yeah. And we 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 go back and forth on email. And yeah, she is she's one of our favorites as well. She's just generally is like a fab person, and she's so generous and just is just lovely to talk to. It would be lovely to actually see her at the shop and really like yes. get to know her because um, be she's cool. she's fab. <laughs> uh, in terms of other people i really miss our old book group um crowd we're back in the back in the days where it was easy to have physical in-person book groups just because they were it was almost entirely women apart from like occasionally you'd get like one or two men coming along just a wonderful bunch like really really friendly and funny really really well read um and just every time you had a discussion it was interesting and fun and sweet they'd remember things you'd said before and they would be like oh How's how's this thing? How's this thing in your life? Whatever. So it, it's like, yeah, it's like having your friends go missing for, <laughs> you know, 18 months or whatever. So it's I'm looking forward to a time where we can sort of have them back yeah. and I can get the old, as much of them are, as many of them are as available, have the old kind of book, uh, book group club back, you know. Then I think Megan deserves a shout out. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. Megan's Megan. incredible. Megan's lovely. I don't know much about her. I know what books she likes and that she comes <laughs> in a lot and she's fantastic. But mm. um, it's funny because, you know, you see these people and you share something, you know, like a love for books and literature, but you always see them in your work setting. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're ne- like they're there in, a, in like a personal private function, but we're at work. So we kind of just get little glimpses here and there of who they are and what they do. 
it's, it's quite lovely to feel like we're at least a little bit part of that. And we, we get to meet so many cool people. And it's really, really nice when people come in and they say, oh, you know, we follow you online or we've been dying to come here for ages. And it's actually so nice as well in person. And that just feels really nice because, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a nice vibe and as much as possible we try and make because the space is so nice, a comfortable, comforting space. So it's nice to be able to like have that relationship with people as well, where you can make them feel relaxed and mm-hmm. people tend to reciprocate then. Like most people are pretty, pretty cool and pretty nice. Yeah. Um, and especially when you, if they've made the effort to come to the bookshop as well, you know, like, oh, I live in Romania or I live in like, you know, the, the South of England or wherever it is they're coming from. Yes, if they, those are the same things. The, the two places that I can think of. <laughs> Uh, the only two places in the world outside of um, and uh, it's nice if they come all that way especially off the back of like um if they've only seen us on instagram or something to yeah. create that same atmosphere to create that same like warmth so yeah mm-hmm. it, I, I find that because we put that out we tend to get a lot of it back so yeah. it's very nice that makes sense and i can imagine the space itself as you were saying like helps a lot like if you have a warm inviting space then you can maybe more easily also build that kind of relationship with people who walk in as strangers and maybe they don't leave as strangers and yeah um i actually made a good friend in the shop i just i just mm-hmm. remembered rose i how god um so <laughs> rose came in a few months ago i was by myself in the shop and it was towards the evening and we just got to chatting and now we, we talk all the time online um she's back down in london so that you know became an actual friendship mm. um <laughs> that's nice so that's, that's really cool yeah we should make a special episode friendships in the Friendships in the bookshop, special yes. edition. <laughs> I know there are even people who get married in the bookshop. So clearly there are, um, did you ever have a wedding in the bookshop? Oh, we've... No, but um, our assistant manager, Jonathan, met his wife at Golden Hair. Mm. Oh. So a place of romance as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm told. <laughs> yeah. I like, I... Oh, were you? Yes, I oh, was asked out at Golden Hair. The... I've never been asked out at Golden Hair. What's going on? Yeah. Um, it's not I too late. Yes. <laughs> Here's hoping, you know. <laughs> it doesn't always work out, I have to yeah. tell you. I, I was asked apparently, that apparently once. not, yes. <laughs> no, not really. I was asked that once here in Berlin in a bookshop. And it, it apart from the fact that it was just not a good date, it also uh, interrupted my my visit to the bookshop. <laughs> not what I wanted. <laughs> For me, it was a little awkward because I was sat behind the tilt. And, <laughs> and it was the Christmas rush. It was in December. Mm. And he said if I was, he asked me if I was single. And I was like, I wasn't at the time. And I said, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he went to leave, but he couldn't work the door. And he kept accidentally locking it. So he he no. didn't leave for like another 20 seconds. <laughs> and the shop's really small. So everyone had heard him ask me out oh. and then seen him not being able to leave. And it was just a little like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And now he can never come back again. And this was his favorite yeah. shop. I mean, yeah <laughs> the, the scene of his greatest shame that's it, that's it. <laughs> many things happen in bookstores yes. including uh a romantic awkward depends depends on the moment yeah um so i want to ask you something quite quite unrelated to that um more about what happens to the bookshop during the festival season so edinburgh is obviously known for many things one of the things being the fringe one of the two times that I've been to Edinburgh was during the Fringe. It seemed like a completely different city than what I had seen before. 
everything is packed, right? Um, people are running around everywhere, different levels of, of alcohol in their blood. <laughs> what exactly happens to the bookshop and how does it transform during the festival season? So it, it's kind of a mixed bag, to be honest. So where the bookshop is, we're like a little bit away from the center of town. It's not like miles away. It's like 20 minutes kind of walk, 15 minutes, 20 minutes walk. But it's still far enough away where you don't get quite as many um, tourists as you would if you were like right in the center of town. You still see a big increase, but it's not quite as crazy as it is in the center. Uh, what we do see a big uh, change in are things like author visits. So obviously you have a lot of events coming in and you've got a lot of um, authors coming up for the festival. And so we get loads of people coming through for like signing books. So it's wonderful. It's like a really great chance for us throughout the year. Anyway, we'll have authors coming in regardless, but just the, the sheer concentration of them in August is like really quite incredible. So you end up meeting loads and loads of kind of famous, interesting authors, which is very cool. That's always really interesting. But in addition, we will also kind of generally, although it's a little different this year, we'll try and put on events that are sympathetic to it as well. So if we have someone or a combination of people who might be interesting together, we'll try and get an event with them there. Just because the sheer number of events there are, it's often not totally sensible to like try and outcompete the festival because, you know, you've got like 30,000 events just up on the hill up there. So we don't go too crazy on that, but really it's just an opportunity to like meet people and yeah, kind of, I, I guess, try and connect as much as possible. I do an event if it's appropriate, but it, I don't think it, it fundamentally changes how the business works. It's just everything's a bit more and a bit busier. So, Do you and I work at the same shop? I had such a different <laughs> answer. I, I I'm very lazy. So. He usually no, hides in the back. Yeah. Of August. As I said, I've been I've been at the shop for just over two years now. So I joined in July 2019. So obviously August 2019, the month after I started, was the mm. festival to festival that I did, and we had like 16 events that month. Don't mm. you remember? That yeah, that was a that was busy. That was hectic. Yeah. yeah, we've not done that since because it's. It just like I was saying, you do a large number of events, but you're competing against an even larger number of events, some of which are free, some of which I think. So it can often yeah. be difficult to kind of get attention on them. Um, so I think we have done that in the past, yeah. but it's didn't work out quite as well. So we were like, okay, we'll try a slightly different strategy. And then, you know, August 2020, well, mm, a bit different. <laughs> Very much different. Yeah. And then yeah. the Fringe came back this year. Uh, and we definitely saw an uptick in, in people visiting the shop. Like we didn't hold any special events for it, um, but the shop does transform in the sense. And it, David is right in saying that we don't get the same amount of tourists that the center of town gets. But Golden Hair is now in quite a few like, you know, it's in Lonely Planet, I think. Mm -hmm. It's in a few tour guides and things like that. So we do get people coming off the back of that. Mm -hmm which is interesting and it changes kind of what what sells better <laughs> so in august we sell a lot of scottish history for example okay yeah i was gonna ask you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And scottish literature in general so it changes that a little bit as well we we get odd one as well so we, we get mentions in like a very obscure italian fashion magazines and things so oh you just see i mean they'll be like oh yeah or they'll email me and be like oh i've heard about you through this obscure italian fashion magazine. i'm like cool nice <laughs> But that's really lovely. You just, you, it's not something that I would necessarily expect us to be in, but there we are. So I'm like, quite nice. That's how you know you you made it. If you if you're in a fashion <laughs> magazine in Italy, no yeah. matter what you sell, books or shoes, that's how. I, I hope we've got some sort of like fashion show dedicated to us in Milan or something. That would be the, <laughs> that's everyone wearing golden hair outfits. <laughs> not styled by David though. Hopefully. No, please, not by me. That would be awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so you mentioned uh, 2020, so obviously the, the fringe was cancelled, many things were cancelled and over the last year and a half, uh, it looks as if everyone has been, everyone running a business seems to have been struggling to some extent. So I was quite surprised to see that actually book sales have uh, have gone up over the last year and a half, uh, both in the UK and in the US and I'm sure also in other countries, but there were not as many numbers coming out of other countries. However, it depends where, you know, it it doesn't necessarily mean that independent booksellers are the ones that are selling these books, right? People could have just been at home in lockdown and ordering their books the easy way, the easy way out on Amazon. So I was curious to to hear if um, you've seen this trend in your shop. Have you felt that the store has actually gone uh, better in terms of sales during the pandemic or not necessarily? You couldn't really compare lockdown sales to the shop being open sales, just two completely different kind of ways of going about selling books, right? Mm. So we had, it felt like there was so much going on. We had so many online orders, for example. So like you said, you know, sitting online the easy way out doesn't necessarily mean Amazon because we do online stuff. Mm. <laughs> so that was really, really cool. Um, just thinking about the people that emailed in, for example, they'd mm. say, oh, I've not read a book in years, but now I have so much time. Do you have any suggestions? So we had a lot of that going on, I think, which probably in part explains the uptick in in that you mentioned yeah um because a lot of people just found themselves at home having a lot of time and maybe kind of rethinking how they wanted to spend their free time mm-hmm. because the things you used to do like being on social media a lot maybe or watching tv the news it all felt a bit depressing you know mm-hmm. at least i found that and books are such a great way to escape that i think a lot of people kind of got back in touch with that yeah. yeah, there was definitely, we got a lot of contact from people being like, we love your bookshop. And we know at the moment for first lockdowns, things, some supply issues might happen because, you know, some suppliers were struggling and some warehouses weren't open and stuff. But we'd just like to like either buy these books and you just send them whenever, or we'll just buy a voucher or we'll buy a membership, whatever the thing was they were buying. And don't worry about getting to us just whenever you can but we just want to support the bookshop. And we had a huge amount of, yep. honestly, over the first, that, the first like three or four months of lockdown period, there was so much support like that yep. with people coming up and being like, oh, we really love your bookshop and we just want to show our support in some way. And luckily we we ended up not having too many issues with like actually getting the books to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was really nice to have people kind of just getting in contact with me, like, don't worry about it. Just get to it when you can. Here's, here's some money because we just think you're great. Yeah. Um, very, very like... Yeah, really touching to hear that, honestly. We had huge online sales during that period as well because people Mm -hmm. were just like, we can't go anywhere and the only people who can get anywhere are like postmen or delivery men or whatever. So people really were just buying tons online. It's calmed down now a bit more as we've gone into a, um, as as everything's opened up again. But physical sales now of books in the shop have like really increased. So people are just excited to be out there. And I think this is something you can see in a lot of the, the independents that survived because unfortunately some across the UK didn't. didn't. Mm -hmm. But the ones that did seem to have done really well and actually their client base, and I think we found this for ourselves as well, has been very loyal and continues to be loyal and excited about going to those spaces. So even though places like Amazon are still going strong, equally there have been a very committed bunch of people who have either through online sales or through physically coming to our shop have kept true to it and have been very loyal to us. And yeah, I think it's it's been reflected in our sales, which have been very good these days. So it's it's yeah. yeah, it's really positive to be able to say that because definitely going into it, I don't think anyone could have said what the heck it was going to look like. It really just 
uh, yeah, uh, there was a reason people were that generous and it was because they were worried for us. But luckily, through our, our efforts and through their efforts and their support, it ended up quite good. So, mm. Yeah, I'd say it's probably one of the very few positive effects of, of this pandemic that many people rediscovered their love of books or maybe they discovered it for the first time in their lives. And then at the same time, there was um, so much more of this let's support our local shops, our local communities spirit than before. Because I think you're right, people were worried that maybe post-lockdown there won't be a shop to go to. So they thought, you know, I'll, I'll support however way I can. So in a twisted way, this was actually good for, for some businesses. And we, we heard this on the podcast a lot from other bookstores all over the world. So it wasn't a phenomena you know, isolated to any one region. People all over the world were panicking, like their bookstore is going to close. So even if it was harder maybe to order online from their bookstores, or maybe they had no online store, they would email, they would call, they would go the extra mile just to order from those stores and not always at least order from, from Amazon. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you had a, a similar experience. Um, and how exactly did you guys operate during lockdown? Because, uh, for example, in Germany, I was, I was so happy to see that bookstores were open pretty much all the time because they were considered to be essential shops, which was an amazing decision, I think. And they were, I believe, the only cultural spaces that were still open. Theaters, cinemas, everything was closed. But I don't think this was the case in uh, many other parts of the world. So how, how was it for you guys? In Scotland, books are classed as essential as well. So we never stopped trading even though our doors were closed for long extended mm -hmm. periods of time, if that makes sense. So okay. um, during the very first lockdown, the first three months, I think both David and I were just like on furlough, right? Yes, yeah. for a long time. So we didn't work the first three months. So it was just our manager at the time and our assistant manager, and bless them, <laughs> the, the work they did. It was heroic. Incredible. It was really heroic. Incredible. <laughs> so it was just the two of them. And, you know, they were fielding, orders over the phone, over the website, mm -hmm. people sending emails. And, you know, it seemed like the restrictions were changing all the time. And then sometimes, you know, we had phases where people could come to the door to pick up books. There was just so much going on. And then I came back to work in June, a couple of weeks before we were allowed to open again. So I saw the shop in the state that it was. <laughs> and I walked in and I thought, oh, my God, we have to open in two weeks. Because the thing is, with all the online orders and no one coming into the shop, you know, we used the shop floor as our packing station. And it's more like a, it was more like a warehouse it space was a warehouse, at one yes. point. Yeah. Yes, okay, it was a warehouse. Which, 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 when you see it now, <laughs> it's so aesthetic and, you know, very attractive and very yeah. like, and to, so to imagine it as, you know, just kind of a space where there's like packaging here and there, whatever yeah. it's. I think it was, you know, it's definitely a big shock for you, the idea of it. For yeah, me, it was. I, I walked in there and I thought, oh, God. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, we got it to the point and to, to where it had to be. And then we opened up for a while. And then, you know, we closed and we opened mm. and we closed. But yeah, like I said, we never stopped trading. So over the course of all that, we also got a new website, uh, which works a lot better than our old one did. Mm. And that's great because it makes it so much easier for customers to shop with us. And yeah, if, you know, people can't find a book, they can email us. And if it's in print, we will track it down for them <laughs> yeah and it's worth taking that extra effort people if you're listening don't don't go to amazon did you actually right, have if you go to amazon you don't get super nice emails from us yeah okay. well, we pay our tax as well so that's always it goes back that's, to you that's, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did you actually have an online bookstore before the pandemic or was this something built as a result of the fact that you had to sell more books online we did have an online bookstore but it was a bit 
it wasn't as updated as it could be. It was using mm. WordPress, which I don't know if anyone has ever used WordPress before. It's a little clunky. It can be very beautiful, but you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of money and have a lot of expertise to make it good. And we didn't really have any of those three. So it was just kind of fine. I guess it mostly functioned. But the new one we got, which is through through Shopify, has actually been excellent. Um, very, very usable, very easy for people to come on and like know how to navigate it. So it's been, that switch has been a really a really good one for, for, for us. And we've definitely noticed that in terms of like our online sales, how much picking something that's like simple for us to use and simple for the customers to use. It's like just instant win, instant win. Yeah. But also just to not make it sound like you're being paid for an advert. Uh, it does have a drawback. <laughs> yeah. hey, of course, of course. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, every system has its flaws, you know, it's just, it, it's something that works well for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I should declare that Shopify are not paying me for this. <laughs> but if they want to, I'm like, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who I know is listening to. The, well, I hope she's listening to this. Who works for Shopify? So uh, if uh, <laughs> if you want to complain, I can. I can I don't know. No, it's so far very good. Keep it, keep it up. <laughs> so um, I, I think that's that's a good point, right? Because sure, of course, people can email their bookshop or call or walk in and ask, "Do you have this book?" But I think it's also important for for independent booksellers to meet people halfway, right? Amazon is easy. It has a lot of problems, but it is an easy way to order books, right? So I think fair enough that independent booksellers have to recognize that that is partially their competition um, and to make that that experience as as smooth, as nice as possible for customers. And then customers have no excuse anymore <laughs> to to say, oh, it was, it was just easier for me to order this from Amazon because it's not because there are many other places where you can go and then you can support real bookstores. Um, so speaking of competition for for independent booksellers, the two things that we we hear about from booksellers on this podcast this least is one one is you know the big Amazon enemy, and then the other problem is uh, chain bookstores. Not necessarily a problem, but the other source of competition. Um, and sometimes, depending on the country of, of the bookseller we interview, the chain bookstores have different strategies. Either their prices are much much lower. And that's a way to kind of drive out of business the small bookstores, or they're just everywhere, um, and then there's no space anymore for for small bookstores to compete. And I had seen um, in news from 2018 that your bookstore, Golden Hair, spoke up against Waterstone's plans to open an unbranded store nearby. There were many things that surprised me about this. One is that they're allowed to have unbranded stores. <laughs> I was not aware <laughs> of that. But I wanted to ask you how. How did that go? Did they, in the end, open a store where they were planning to do it? And can small independent bookstores like yours stand up against uh, chains like Waterstones? Yeah. So it, that that story is so interesting because they were basically we had said to them when they were they were coming in, and, and some other independent bookshops had also said the same thing that as long as they're above board and they come in and they don't pretend to be what they're not, that's totally fine. They're allowed to set up stores wherever they like. But the, 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 there was a slightly underhanded tactic of not labeling themselves, not indicating to the customers in the local area who they actually were. So then people weren't able, wouldn't have been able to make a choice. So we kind of felt that like we had to like stride in there and be like, actually, you said you wouldn't do this and now you're doing it and you're attempting to do it without telling the, the you know, everyone in Stockbridge, everyone in Edinburgh. And off the back of that kind of um, kerfuffle, they then went back on that and they they are now planning to open just a, a normal waterstones in that area, which looks nice. And that, again, that's fine. They're allowed to do that. 
it just has to be above board and it has to be fair because it's they have many advantages of the chain like you're saying you know uh their price points particularly um they can also pick often although this one they're building is in a newer build they often can pick very beautiful buildings to take over as well and so they can actually sometimes be very attractive spaces to be in even if it's a chain stores too actually we often know booksellers in those spaces as well and they're very nice or whatever the problem for us has never been like having competition in that way. It's just the fact that it's like attempting to be something that it isn't and, and be deceitful about that. For yeah. us, the best way to kind of like stand out against that is one, because you can never compete on price with them. You can't compete against Amazon in that way. You can't compete against say Warstones. But what you can do is you can say, what we do have in here is really, really highly curated and it's very personalized. And all our booksellers will like know a lot about what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. not this is not to say that Warstone doesn't have booksellers who also aren't skilled and know what they're talking about. But I think with ours, we're allowed to have quite a lot of personality in it. In terms of the stock that we bring in, this is stock that like we choose too. So everything there has been chosen for a very specific reason. And it's because it like excites us. And so that kind of comes across. And I think if you can't compete on price or if you can't compete on being like right on the high street, you have to offer something else. You have to have some reason for people to be excited about it. And I think for us, generally, we the feedback we get seems to indicate that we do have that. That people are like, oh, we love their curation. We love they have they have unusual kind of books in there. We love the quirky fireplace or we love the kids section or whatever the thing is. There's something special there. There's something unique. Otherwise, if we just tried to compete on a discount basis, I think we would struggle. <laughs> and that would, yeah. would still be in business. No, this is by no means an attack on Waterstones or anything like that. We actually had a bookseller uh, from from Waterstones in one of our previous episodes. But I think uh, what what I found strange was this unbranded store strategy. And I think it's it's only fair that people know what they're walking into, right? Is it an independent bookstore or is it a chain? Because the more people become aware of how books are being sold and why prices are different in one place versus another, um, I think the more they can appreciate the value of, of stores like yours. Versus the value of, of chain bookstores that have their own merit, um, it just might be slightly different. Yeah. And now the booksellers quiz. How many books are in your shop? I'm going to say approximately, because we haven't done a stock take recently, I'm going to say approximately 6,000. I'm terrible with numbers. It's probably less than a million. <laughs> Good, yeah, we've narrowed it down. Somewhere between a million and 6,000, then we'll say that. Or less, I don't know. As I said, I'm terrible. Someone, someone needs to count, you guys. Yeah, we need, desperately need that stock take. Like. Which is funny, because that's my job. So um, <laughs> I, I can tell you in a few weeks. <laughs> what was the last book you sold in your shop? A picture book for me. I sold a picture book that's called um, Goodnight Moon. And I sold a wonderful bit of Korean short story fiction called Cursed Bunny. So, yeah. Cursed Bunny. Yeah, it's got a fabulous cover. This beautiful sort of like purpley, blue, red. Am I, am I, I just trying that? I'm very slightly colorblind. No, so no, no, you gotta, no, <laughs> I don't think it's... I, oh, I love it. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. So anyway, maybe, maybe it's my horrible... But maybe because I'm seeing something... Maybe I'm just seeing like this gray image, like a dog. That's all I'm getting. It's like very monochrome. That's why That's why you're not decorating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to say it's beautiful. But yeah, so that one. <laughs> what would you do if you couldn't work in books anymore? I would like to be a counsellor because I like listening to what people have to say. And also, at, 
well, technically this is not a moral stance taking it, but you could always tell people what to do. So, which you shouldn't do as a counselor. That's the opposite. But I would be a bad counselor. So You'd be a bad counselor. I would be a poor counselor. Bad. Don't come to me, basically, is what I'm saying. I'm going to help. Poor um, counselor, nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Poor counsel. I would go into silversmithing. So I do a silversmithing class once a week. So I'd probably just say, you know, screw it, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Make lots of rings yeah. and stuff and sell them. Would you get a forge as well? No. Oh, yeah, would you to have like a real, get a big hammer? No, and no. I'm, I'm more about the small and dainty. Okay, yeah. okay. What book are you reading at the moment? I'm reading uh, a German book, actually. I've, I've been going through a phase of reading about digital humanism and artificial, artificial intelligence. Uh, so it's literally called Künstliche Intelligenz und Digitaler Humanismus for your German, uh, for your German <laughs> listeners. So it's uh, digital ethics and like artificial intelligence. So that's what I'm reading. Uh, and I'm reading Ronan Hessian's second book, actually, uh, Penenka, which is really very good so far. Basically a story about this guy who makes one mistake during a, a football match he's playing And then the rest of the town remembers that as who he is for the essentially the rest of his life. It's it's really, yeah, it's very it's very different tonally to Leonard Hungry Paul, but it's got enough sympathetic stuff that if you enjoyed it, it's definitely worth picking up. It's really great. And finally, what is your second favorite bookshop? Ooh, I I really like Lighthouse in Edinburgh. They're like a, a radical political bookshop. So the vibe is very different. The look is very different, but they have loads of really amazing booksellers. I also like lots of political nonfiction as well. So you go in there and there's always kind of something new that you hadn't picked before, you hadn't thought about before. You can go in and talk to them. And before you know it, there are like 20 books in front of you and all you want to read all of them. And it's all from that wonderful person who has is like the font of all this knowledge. So for me, that's always a place that I would love to go to as, a, as, a, as another bookseller. And for me, it would have to be foils in London, actually. So um, I moved to the UK five years ago. And before that, I'd, if I came to the UK, it would mostly be to London. And, um, you know, you'd walk in to this massive bookshop just with all these English books that I always had to order online. You know, when I was at home, there was there wasn't I grew up in Luxembourg. So there wasn't at the time an English bookshop that you could just walk into. And there I was, you know, just like five floors of books and it's <laughs> massive and ah, oh, so exciting. And I usually went with my mum. So, you know, we, we always ended up coming with tons of books. So it's a nice memory. And it's, it's just it's such an impressive space, you know, mm -hmm. such an impressive space. Before I let you guys go, I want to talk a little bit about books. <laughs> I think it's unfair to have booksellers on a podcast and not ask them about books. And so I'm wondering what it is that you're recommending to your customers at the moment? What are you kind of pushing them to read? Any books of the month that um, that you really like or of the year? Well, it, I would always go with, because we're coming up into, we are in October now. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the year is flashing by. Um, so for me, I would, I would like kind of an, an old classic at this point. Um, A little spooky, a little quirky and weird, but something that is just a book that I can always trust to people like. We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, which has one of the best, I won't say heroine, because I don't know if that's fair, but one of the best female protagonists in anything ever. Just like such a weird, creepy individual. And it's such a strange, slightly sinister, but very charming book that it's always one that I just want to like press into people's hands and go, you have to read this. This is, this is the time of the year. Come on, it's spooky. Get to it. Um, so that's probably mine for this time. Um, I don't know if you have one as well, Julia, that's in the top of your head. Um, I mean, there's a book that I will 
literally could recommend to everyone uh, you know which one david know you one. know which one because yeah I'm, i won't shut up about it <laughs> no so um when was this like around this time last year maybe i read a japanese novel called before the coffee gets cold and i just really liked it so i tend to read books that are quite depressing um <laughs> well, Jap- japanese literature will, will do that for you no 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 no. in general i used to read books that were quite depressing and then okay. i read this and i thought this is so heartwarming and yeah something about it really struck a chord and then i started talking about it to to people at the shop and yet we've we've had it in the shop since and it sells really well and it's just it's one of those books that you know is maybe could be sappy like the just the concept of it because it's a bit about time travel and it's a bit about you know it sounds like it could be really bad mm. but it just works and makes a really wholesome book which i think this time of year needs yes because i mean both david and i could probably talk about a lot of you know books that are a bit dreary and depressing um <laughs> it's my speciality <laughs> it is his speciality yes it is um but um yeah i also read a lot of non-fiction at the moment especially but yeah. I one I would definitely recommend if people haven't read it and want sort of a, a flavor of Scotland. Again, it's another sort of classic uh, one. Nonfiction. It's by Nan Shepherd. It's called The Living Mountain. And it's just the most beautiful description of like walking in the Cairngorm Mountains. Just wonderful descriptions of things that maybe potentially in another author's hands could be quite boring. So like she's long descriptions of like the grass and the rocks and you know the the, the air. And things, and you think this could be dull, but it's just done so beautifully that all you want to do is just like step out into that world and go and explore those mountains and and like plow through those valleys and just like really have, yeah, really have that full experience. I actually think off the back of that book, they actually have lots of walking tours now. Um, so you can walk in like Nan Shepherd's footsteps. I think she was in the, I want to say the late 19th century, but you can like walk the walks that she she describes in the book. It's just it's exquisite. If no, if someone hasn't been to Scotland, I would recommend that book to them because they will, as soon as they could, they would get on a plane <laughs> and go there. It really is quite incredible. So they'll want to come to Scotland. If they haven't yet, it'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to also ask you what some of your favorite reads of all time are. I guess these could, could fit in there as well. But uh, although it's very hard to say, do you have a favorite book? Do you have a favorite book or <laughs> one that, that you'd recommend to everyone all the time, anytime? Well, that's really difficult. Um, it's funny, like I have <laughs> just sitting here looking in that corner of my <laughs> living room. <laughs> I collect Alice in Wonderland editions. So I have 53 Alice in Wonderland books over there. And six of them are like propped up. So they're like staring mm. at us right now. Um, so I have, you know, this book that I love because I collect it and because I love the story. But I also love The Book Thief by Marcus Susak. Mm. So that's a book that I absolutely adored. I really love when it comes to nonfiction, Annie Ernaud. Mm. Um, so she's French, but here in the UK, Fitzcarraldo publishes her. Just beautiful essays and like reflections on life. Uh, I know she's also been translated into German. Just fantastic, fantastic woman. She was born in 1940. So everything mm. she's uh, written, I've read and I love it. I am not going to recommend anything dreary. Actually, no, I will. I'll go part dreary and part really uplifting and sweet. So the dreary one is The People in the Trees by Hanya Yanagihara which is like a really, it's a brilliant book. It's like a hard read. Like you'll, you'll suffer for the brilliance. This exploration of like neo-colonialism and modern exploitation of science and things. It is, it's devastating. I'm not going to lie. It's really, it's, it'll get you. But the nice one, uh, which I would also recommend equally as heartily is um, a lovely book by an Irish writer called Ronan Hessian, Leonard the Hungry Paul. 
Oh, I and love that just, book. Oh, it's yeah. just, be- it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you described it to someone, usually people would describe it as plotless. And actually uh, Ronan wrote a really great essay about this online, which is totally worth people going to about like books that have quote unquote, no plot. Definitely go and read that as well. But Leonard Hopeful is just wonderful. It's just this book about friendship and masculinity, but not in any trite way. It's just this kind of beautiful kind of ode to friendship that's never sentimental. And that's why it's so good because it could easily be saccharine, but he avoids that really, really well by just not being sentimental. And when he is very emotive, it's like very, very, it's like perfectly placed. Uh, There's a wonderful bit where one of the characters is going home from this first date he's had with someone and it, there's a line in it, which I'll, I'm paraphrasing here. I can't remember exactly, but he says he walked home with nothing above him uh, but the stars. And I'm just like, that's, it's just beautiful. You know, like, and he doesn't, if you deploy that all the time, it doesn't work but because he deploys it so carefully, it completely works and you're completely with him for that. So yeah, I would definitely recommend those two books for very different reasons. So for, for balance, yeah. we read the one that might make us a little bit, uh, sad maybe or a little bit worried about the world and then we read Leonard and Hungry Paul I'm really glad you mentioned Leonard and Hungry Paul you're the second bookseller to recommend this book the first one was Irish so you know maybe a bit biased um Mm. I had this book in my book club and I did not expect it to cause so much debate I have to say um I recommended it because I thought it was so heartwarming and everybody would love it and they did but um yeah I don't want to give too much away for people that haven't read it but there was a, a lot of debate around the characters and that's one of the great things about having book groups is that you pull people from all over the world and lots of different experiences. And what you think is sometimes going to be a very simple experience. Right, exactly. Yeah. Actually ends up being very, maybe not controversial, but like definitely there's there's like fertile ground to discuss stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I did not expect anyone to say, are these characters role models that we should look up to? I had never read the book with, with that in mind, you know, thinking that yeah. I, I'm looking for role models. But yeah. Um, finally, going back to, to Golden Hair. So thank you very much for the book recommendations. I was taking notes as you were saying these, and I'm adding all of these to our uh, virtual bookstore that we have with all the recommendations from all the booksellers that have ever been on the podcast. And before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, um, going back to Golden Hair, in 2019, I know that it won the title of the UK's Best Independent Bookshop, which is quite an honor. And you've already described the place and it sounds magical. And you guys are obviously great booksellers. If the whole team is like you, then that explains it. But what do you think makes uh, makes a bookstore be the best independent bookstore in any place? What does it take to get there? I'm going to say that so much of that win was down to our customers as well. Mm like we've already touched upon, we're just so lucky to be surrounded or like in a place that just has so many supportive people. Mm. Like the whole business is so supported by so many different people that just, you know, come in and out of the shop's life, if you will. Um, So that plays a huge role, but also the fact that, I mean, I wasn't working there at the time, but I was a customer of Golden Hair (laughs) at the time. So long before I started working there, I, I went there a lot to buy books. And the impression that I got back then as a customer was just that, I'd, I'd never really been in a bookshop where I felt people cared as much mm. about what they were doing, which is why I really wanted to work there. And which is why I'm really glad that I do now, because mm. I think we all still, I think that's something that's been going on at Golden Hair for, for the past years is that whoever's been working there or for however long, they've always just really, really cared yeah. about people, about books and about uniting people with books. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And it, it's that combination of having you know that amazing support and having people who are really keen to support you 
and then making sure that you can kind of try and encourage that for the future as well. So at that time we had like, cause obviously everything was open as well. We had a very extensive events program too. And our previous manager, um, Jules Danskin was very instrumental in that, like did a lot of work trying to get, uh, we had a festival running, which was very successful, very, a lot of work, but like, you know, it was a success, yeah. which was good. We had loads of events all the time, lots of different types of people, um, lots of work with small presses. Like that really became like our thing that we would, as much as possible, we would have local independent presses and we would do events with them. And from that, we developed a lot of relationships with these small presses. So that made it really, really, it felt like it was, it was a team effort, but it wasn't just the small team we had working in the shop. It was like everyone in the small presses, it was our customers. And between us, we kind of got over the hill in that. When I see other shops that have won the award as well, like before and since, they often kind of have in their own way, that kind of vibe. There feels like it's more than just the team. It's more than just the space. They've created something where there's some sort of, it's like hard to define connection between the people and the space and the small publishers. And that does create something kind of special for an indie. And yeah, hopefully we still have some of that as well, like some of that energy and some of that like enthusiasm and excitement for it. Right now, it's a bit difficult to kind of do some of the tactics that we used then just because of the nature of this like post lockdown, but still not quite out of restrictions place we're in. But hopefully in the future, we can go back to something like that. And it might be something a little different just because things have changed a little bit. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully equally successful. Yeah, yeah, it'll have to to go back to some sort of pre-pandemic ish <laughs> mood and time. Thank you, thank you for that, and uh, thank you for answering all of my many many questions and for your for your time today. Mm-hmm. And next time I'm in Edinburgh, I'll I'll definitely stop by to say hi and to see the, the beautiful wall of books that you described on the right side too. <laughs> yes, please do. Thank yeah. you guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to God Books. Tune in next Friday for more insights from the world of books. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. You can find us by searching for God Books Podcast.